Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Objective. Uh, we're going to be talking about two shows about ultra-Orthodox Jewish people that are both on Netflix, which I watched. Uh, one is called Shtisel, which was a popular show produced in Israel, aired in Israel. It actually, I've heard it became very popular in like parts of the world that are very conservative. So like Muslim countries in particular um, are really hooked on this show, Shtisel, which is about ultra-Orthodox Jews because, you know, it's a nice clean show. There's no swearing. There's no nudity. It's just very wholesome. Uh, and then the other show is Unorthodox, which was an which was a limited series. I think it's four four long episodes, like four hour long episodes, something like that, um, based on a true story, based on a memoir written by the subject, the main lady uh, of the story, and um, it takes place in Williamsburg, a very 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 religious Jewish neighborhood uh, community, right? So. Um, the main actress in Unorthodox is also, she plays like a teenager in the show Shtisel. The show Shtisel uh, depicts ultra-Orthodox Jews living in Israel, in Jerusalem somewhere. And they're very, um, it, it doesn't make fun of them. It's not like there to make them look bad. Now, Israel, in Israel, there's a lot of tension, always has been tension between the religious and the secular communities. Uh, probably for a, a large number of reasons. Um, you know, they're, they, first of all, they live in a lobby system. So um, you have like, let's say, ultra-Orthodox people receiving uh, benefits, receiving subsidies, receiving welfare from the government, and as well as the fact they're not enlisting in the army while their secular relatives, their secular neighbors are being drafted to the army and paying taxes rather than receiving it. So there's like one reason why when we live in a lobby system, when we live in a uh, in a non-capitalist type of system, you're going to have hatred between different groups of people. So there's no live and let live. You, It's like someone else being religious and receiving uh, special favors is kind of becomes your problem. And there's other causes for tension as well. I imagine, or I, I think I know, the ultra-Orthodox, they wish to impose their uh, will, their dictates or their religious uh, beliefs on everyone legally. So I know the, the reasons I'm listing for the tension is largely making the religious look like the bad guys. And, you know, for good reason, I think. But um, in any case, they're, the way that they the ultra-Orthodox Jews are depicted in the show Shtisel is actually very benevolent. So it kind of showcases problems that they have, like uh, struggles they go through. You have like the the man who he got married young, as you know, is normal over there and ha immediately start having kids. And then he kind of got tempted and sort of abandoned his family for a little while. This is in like the early part of the first season. He kind of he went off to South America to work in some kind of um, like butchering company. Like it's his job to ensure that the meat being slaughtered prepared is kosher. So that like that's like his job. So he leaves his family for like months at a time. And one of the trips, he just kind of deviated completely um you know linked up with uh some beautiful south american woman over there and kind of ditched the family for a while so like there's an example of some of the struggles that you might go through you're living in this uh very strict and limited type of environment and you know religion is everywhere you might be you might deviate uh, i mean that's that's one of the struggles uh, it depicts the main struggle i think the kind of ongoing theme on the show relates to the main character, which uh, who's named Kiva. And Kiva is um, played by a remarkable actor. Now, like I've looked up other shows 
uh, made in Israel. And this actor is just everywhere. And he is just remarkable. So his character, Kiva, he has what Ayn Rand calls the benevolent universe premise. So he is just the most trusting and sweet guy ever. He's an artist. He's an artist. He's a talented painter. And that is not the type of career that is encouraged in the ultra-Orthodox community. He's living in Israel, which is like just having a career altogether is not exactly open to people. Because by opting out of the military, they're sort of agreeing to never really work. It's a weird situation. It's like, okay, you don't have to come to the army as long as you agree to just be on welfare your whole life. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But uh, the lobby system uh, has produced even more bizarre things that we know. This main character, Kiva, he, he loves painting. That's kind of his passion. He also um, develops feelings for girls that are not necessarily who his, his father would want him to date and marry. Um, so like in the first season, he likes a, a widow, a widow. She's twice widowed. So she, quote, killed both of her first husbands, right? Like they both died. And because these people are so mystical, um, they kind of blame it on the widow. They don't like say it like that, but it's sort of whispered like, oh, no, no, like her husbands keep dying, you know, marry someone else. They're very superstitious. I mean, that's what religion does to you. When you actually take religion seriously, you know, we get into all these arguments here in like the regular part of the world, you know, where we have like Jordan Peterson explaining why you need like religion or God to tie it things together. And Ben Shapiro makes a similar point. But they're, I don't think they're telling you what religion actually ends up looking like. It's deeply mystical and it becomes violent. But you don't really see that in the show Shtissel largely because um, the ultra Orthodox Jews in Israel, with all their problems, including some violence, I mean, they're nothing like, let's say, the Taliban or ISIS, right? So they're comparatively enlightened. Um, so the uh, say this main character, Kiva, in the second season, he ends up developing feelings for his first cousin. So yeah, there you go. There's another sort of um, problem or issue or situation that this show showcases. It It doesn't like set out to make the religious people look bad, per se, but it just kind of like shows you what they go through. And here's a guy who, you know, he spends his whole life in a with very limited contact with women with the opposite sex. You know, from the time he's a child, he's going to all boys schools and he's discouraged from even talking to girls. And, you know, and then he's got this first cousin and she's basically the only girl he really talks to. And then he he likes her and chooses to marry her. So um, it's not the way of life that. um you know, my, that really appeals to all of us. But but again, it's like depicted not in a way that's sneering or mean to them. It kind of like makes them look very likable and uh, sincere and earnest. And like this is this is their way of life. This is what they know. This is what they believe. And you kind of get a glimpse at um, at kind of what goes like kind of what might be wrong with the secular elements of the culture in Israel. So like in the first season, the abandoned lady, the one whose husband ditched the family for a while, she gets a job. Uh, taking care of um, a secular lady's son, like babysitting, basically. And, you know, and like, the, so she's a single mom, like uh, her son is always on his electronic gadgets. I mean, it's, it, I think it, it's meant to kind of like show you that like, um, like the contrast between the two ways of life. Um, so it's a wonderful show, Shtissel, again, it's called, and it um, is definitely shows you kind of some of the problems that the ultra-Orthodox Jews deal with in Israel, but it's not 
produced in a way that's meant to make them look bad. It, it kind of show it kind of lets you um, kind of understand and have some compassion and even like some of these characters. Um, the young girl, the teenage girl in the show Stissel, um, is she, also the star of Unorthodox. And the sort of uh, type that she plays, if she's typecast, is she's got the passion. She's got the fury of a thousand burning suns. You know, you would not want to upset this girl. That I can tell, um, unless she's just that good of an actress. She has the rage in her um, and channels it beautifully, at, you know, it, to play these roles. So in the show Stissel, um, she is um, she's the daughter of the man who like abandoned the family and she's enraged by it. And then she want and she's super, super zealous about religion. She, um, you know, kind of uh, she goes through something that people go through when they embrace any philosophy. So in her case, it's, you know, Judaism. Um, sort of insisting that everybody follow the same philosophy that anyone who's not is doing something wrong. They're dishonest. Um, and you know, you, you, you could go through this when you discover like the philosophy of objectivism as well. And many people do like you go through a stage, hopefully just a limited stage where like, you're like enraged that everyone else doesn't get it or that they're not going with it. Like what's wrong with them. They're so dishonest, right? They're evil. But in reality, there is a time to take a deep breath like I just did now or to breathe. Um, and, you know, so this young girl in the show, she kind of learns at her own pace that, um, you know, people are nuanced. People are often mixed and it's complicated. And even her own parents struggle with conflicts and so on. And she um, part of her uh, sort of passion is like she wants to marry she wants to get married right away and start having kids. You know, she's like 16 or something, maybe even younger. It's like crazy. Um, but yeah, it's like very, very dedicated to sort of to spirituality and religion and stuff like that. And uh, she develops feelings for this boy who all, like all he does is study all day. He's um, he's self is the word flagellating. Like he doesn't literally whip himself. That's more of a Christian thing, but he's like scolds himself for like wasting time. You know, like I could have spent more time today studying. That's all he, that's all this guy can think about. Uh, he's, he's, um, he's upset at himself for thinking about girls, like for thinking about, you know, like sex and stuff, which is just obviously distracting him from his studies. So she noticed she's sort of spy on him, this girl, and she then wants to marry him to, you know, because she, you know, she's got feelings for him. And of course she wants to, she says, I can take your mind off of, uh, you know, I can put your mind at ease so you can focus more on studying. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, um, very interesting, psychologically rich show. And I recommend it. That same girl plays in the show unorthodox and that depicts the ultra Orthodox Jews in a much, much less flattering light. So you definitely see some of the problems they have, but you don't, there's no real good guys in the ultra-Orthodox uh, world, in the show Unorthodox. They're just, um, they range, according to the show Unorthodox, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, they kind of range from like clueless to like vindictive, evil, and dishonest. Um, and this, the main character in the show Unorthodox, Esty, her name is, she escapes. Um, she escapes from her husband, and uh, goes to Europe. She goes to Germany, of all places, which, you know, she's coming from a world where, like, the bane of everyone's existence is the Holocaust, right? Like, it's like this 
re- this thing in recent history that's still plaguing everybody. And they've attached all these religious connotations to it, all these, you know, very mystical connotations to what had taken place. Um, so then she, of all places, she goes to Berlin, which is where her mother um, is from. So, or something, or she has a, she has citizenship or she has a pat. She's uh, here's what it is. Her, because her family had, had lived in Germany before world war two, she has the right of return. So, uh, her mother left her like some documents proving that she may return. She may go become a citizen of Germany if she wishes. So she escapes from Williamsburg in New York and travels to Berlin. And like it's all new. She's been immersed in this ultra orthodox community pretty much her whole life. And, you know, she immediately comes into contact with these very benevolent, adventurous kind of um, musicians musicians so people that are studying music the, the philharmonic whatever like very very high, a high grade high level music students or performers she meets them one guy is german one girl is israeli one you know like so she's she's meeting kind of uh, an israel like a jewess from the other side of the pond so to speak uh in more ways than one just like a secular jewess um who has just like a completely different attitude to life and they're all very embracing of this girl Esty. she's kind of uh, in culture shock uh, through much of the show and the show unorthodox definitely depicts the secular way of life that is the life that most normal people live that probably you watching are most familiar with you don't call it secular you just call it regular life it depicts modernity as good and you know orthodox judaism certainly ultra orthodox like extreme judaism and religion as very constricting and corrupt um her husband who goes to Berlin to go find her and brings along his friend Moishe. Moishe is the villain. Moishe is actually a scumbag all any way you look at it. Cause like he, like when he's traveling, he goes to strip clubs and, you know, hires prostitutes. So he's not even living the religious way of life that he's enforcing on other people. Uh, and the way these people operate according to the show, which is according to the book written by the heroine or the uh, subject, the protagonist, they basically use the law to intimidate people like it, like they'll get a lawyer. Um, and the way that things had gone with this girl, Esty, she she thinks her mother abandoned her. But as she finds out, and again, this is based on a real story, uh, her mother had been raising her in back in New York. She had left the religious community, taken her baby with her. And then the. Um, the ultra orthodox gangsters, in essence, they sent lawyers, they got lawyers to basically get this baby away from from her mother in court, basically using the system, a very, uh, very disheartening kind of story. Um, and so those same types of thugs come down to track Esty, the main girl in unorthodox to find her and to kind of pressure her to return. And they try to intimidate her or, or Moisha, the main kind of bad guy. He intimidates her. He tells her, look, what are you going to do out here? You don't have any money. You don't have any skills. You barely speak any language other than Yiddish. Um, like, you know, just come back home and, you know, and you'll live with the community where you belong. So uh, he definitely uses fear to motivate her. Um and uh, yeah, check out the show. I guess I won't tell you how it ends because uh, no reason to spoil it. I think uh, I conveyed the point of what goes on in these two shows. They're both very, very well-produced shows, I think. Unorthodox, a little bit less. You can tell Unorthodox is based on a memoir. Like they're like hitting all the main points that the author had mentioned, like the different scenes and stuff like that. Whereas Stissel 
I think is just purely fictional. So it's all about the plot. It's all about character development. There's no real agenda. So unorthodox is more like propaganda in that way that there's sort of like the lesson they're teaching you um, as like the main point. It's still, I think, very well made and, and worth watching. Stissel is great. Um, and it, it's just very rich because again, like there's these people living in Israel. They're so many people see them as lethargic and I think their way of life is lethargic and unadmirable. But at the same time, it's like you, it is uh, appropriate to have some compassion for the fact that people who were born into this way of life, breaking out of it is like beyond most of their rationales. It's like, not only have they not, like they, they wouldn't know how to begin contemplating that, but like the world outside, the secular side of town is sort of lacking in spiritual values. And that's kind of where we come in, quote unquote. We, you know, students of Ayn Rand, objectivism, people who appreciate romantic art, romantic realism, um, egoism as an ethical code, the virtue of independence, you know, like who are kind of inspired by the image of Howard Rourke in The Fountainhead. Like there is a secular um, alternative to religion that has spiritual value, like has spiritual values and um, and that's just something that the secular culture needs to embrace. So we're, there's really little to no chance that you and me could go convince a bunch of religious people to rethink their religion. It just doesn't happen. We could, you know, one or two people might be able to be lured away. But by and large, if there is any hope, it's going to be in the secular world. And I kind of say the same thing now. Um, in the sort of uh, philosophical battle, I guess, the philosophical landscape, I look at the secular atheists, like the sort of uh, the skeptics, I think, people like Sam Harris, who you've heard me mention. You probably are wondering if I have a crush on the guy. I've mentioned him here so many times. Uh, I really like uh, what I've learned about him in terms of his calmness and his respect for intellectual process. So if there is any hope for objectivism to reach people, I think it's in the sort of science, scientific, uh, secular types of people. So when so applying this to the, you know, the the ultra orthodox dynamic and, and how they relate to the world outside, when, you know, the streets of Williamsburg are filled with romantic art, when the streets of Jerusalem outside of the religious uh, bubble. So like when the secular people in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv and elsewhere in Israel are embracing romanticism, they're embracing reason and they're embracing selfishness as a virtue. They're embracing individualism. They're employing, implementing capitalism. That's when you're going to start seeing religious people start to deviate. And it might not be a sort of violent and angry deviance. It could happen slowly. It could happen through generations. And that's really how it's happened historically. You know, the, the Jews who moved from Europe to America back in like the late 19th century, early 20th century, uh, a lot of them, they were coming from very, 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 very strict religious communities back in Europe. You know, in Eastern Europe, God help you if you, if, you know, if you, try doing anything other be religious it's all they knew you know uh jewish people in like eastern europe in, in much of it or maybe in all of it jews in eastern europe there's like nothing but religion they come to america and the world is benevolent america is a benevolent place certainly in the early 20th century mid 20th century capitalism to a large degree is everywhere benevolence um a positive sense of life and it's not that like the 
the immigrants immediately become secular, but their kids, they go to college or their kids, they, you know, get into the arts. And suddenly you, you started to see, uh, let's say like a rabbi, you know, like a, a religious leader, like a religious, a very, very religious man uh, who's Jewish. His son is like not wearing a yarmulke. You know, his, his kids are sort of deviating in, a, in sort of their own subtle way. And their grandchildren are like hardly religious at all. And like with each generation, they just kind of assimilate into the culture at large. That's what was happening back in the 20th century. So why does that not happen anymore? is an interesting question. It certainly doesn't happen to the same extent. Uh, some would say it's because the religious communities have galvanized. They've really put a lot of focus into uh, tightening their game. That's one way to look at it, but I will offer you that it's because the secular culture has gotten much more nihilistic. The secular culture has gotten much less um, benevolent, much less romantic. There's much less to allure a religious child growing up today than there was 100 years ago. So you want to change the world, really start with yourself and just make the world a, a more beautiful place, you know, be an artist or, um, you know, commission beautiful art, enjoy, consume beautiful art and study and uh, try to propagate, I guess, a good philosophy for living on earth. And, you know, propagate can, you know, be a, be a tricky one because a lot of people do it in a kind of a uh, annoying way. But, you know, do it in a thoughtful and, you know, a thoughtful and good way like I'm doing right now. Marilene with $2. Thank you for that. Marilene with two more dollars. Ooh, it's raining. Uh, she says, is this a group that Netanyahu favors? So the right wingers in Israel tend to like pander to the religious element. So, yeah, someone like Netanyahu and his his Likud party they'll they're the ones who will give the subsidies to the ultra orthodox whereas let's say the more leftist secular even socialist uh peacenik elements of the political landscape they're more the type to say you know what time to cut these subsidies maybe we should be conscripting these uh you know religious fanatics to the army show them they they need to pull their weight around here that's generally the split the right the religion the right wingers tend to um, you know, uh, pander to the religious elements. Although the the left in Israel, I've heard, is basically they've there 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 are no peaceniks anymore, from what I've heard, uh, from like what Yaron Brook has described. Like there is no uh, there's no pacifist um left anymore, no leftist pacifism in Israel anymore. Like there was back when I was a kid growing up there, like a good 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 chunk of the religious. Voices were saying, yeah, come on, there can be peace. Yeah, give the land away, you know, everything will be fine. Turn the other cheek. But uh, my understanding is that uh, the violence coming from the Palestinian uh, territories was just so intense that eventually, like sooner or later in the past 20 years, uh, the peaceniks just kind of uh, gave up. But there probably still is a secular left, like a, a, um, a socialist force within Israel, I would think. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, maybe I guess for yeah, from what I picked up, they're, they're kind of all sort of um, centrist now, like they're all mixed economy centrist now. Um, so I guess that's better than having socialists there. But look, ultimately, the like I said before, the secular elements are where the, the battle needs to be waged, I think, or that's that's who needs to change when the secular people, whether it's in Israel, whether it's in New York or whether it's anywhere, when secular people or people who are not religious are embracing a good philosophy, good times are ahead. But as long as non-religious people are embracing socialism, they're embracing altruism, collectivism of any kind, 
pacifism, um, all types of um, anti-life policy and philosophies, then you're only going to see religious people get more religious. And uh, sadly, they breed faster than anyone. So if, if it is about a lobby system at the end of the day, it's the mystics who are going to have the most votes. Jonathan Honig with 199. Thank you for that. Allie Beard with $2 says, great discussion. What show you want to do next? Oh, good question. I don't even uh, have one planned. But, uh, you know, th this is not, you know, TV talk. We don't like uh, necessarily have another show coming up. But uh, I thought maybe today for this nice solo episode, I could talk about these two shows. All right. Coming up today, we've got nothing at all. But tomorrow's daily objective is on the book of the year. So uh, I don't remember if I'm on that or not. I don't think. I, yeah, I think I am. Wait, am I? I don't remember. You'll find out. It's all going to be a surprise. Uh, Emmanuel with 189 says, damn it. I missed this live lol. Well, at least you got to uh, catch the last minute of it. Um, I was going to just start over again for Emmanuel, but, you know, he sent us 199. It's not like he sent 199. Please leave a super thanks on the video, you know, support the network. Um, we got some great content here always. Uh, some of it's for members only. So hit the join button on YouTube or go to the link uh, down below and become a member that way. And uh, yeah, leave a super thanks, you know, support the network, leave a like, I mean, leaving a like costs you no money. Thank you all for joining us today and have a wonderful new year. And I hope your Christmas was solid. Thank, oh, Marilyn with $3 over coming in. I mean, any, any, any more super chats or can we just end this GD show? Um, Allie says, who's that Pokemon, but book. Yeah, maybe, maybe next episode will be a review of Pokemon. I just need to watch the show first. All right. Thank you all for joining us and goodbye.